You're listening to the Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 56. You can lead a horse to water. Consumer con contagion. We didn't kick up a fuss back then when Pepsodent came on and said, mm-hmm. wonder where the yellow went or little dabble do ya. Mm-hmm. Bill Cream. Yeah, Bill Cream. You yeah. know, we yeah. didn't put up a fuss, even though no, these right. things were happening you're then. Right. How much is that dog in the window? <laughs> the one with the waggly tail. How much is that dog in the window? The consumer con, the great consumer con, C-O-N. It's not the great Star Trek con, it's the the consumer con. Well, the proverbial metaphor, the carrot and the stick. Right. So this is what we're talking about today, the carrot and the stick, how consumers are kind of enticed and drawn into buying products and services. Yep. Kind of manipulated into buying stuff you don't want and paying more than you should. What do you think of that statement? It happens all the time. I'm a victim. I'm going to use the word victim because I think it's appropriate here. A victim of marketing and advertising strategies. Okay. Sale, sale, sale in a a store draws me in like it does many people. I'm also old enough to have seen all of these things before and I'm able to go, oh, just another scam pulling me in. I think I'll just avoid that one. Thanks. And the fact is I don't really watch a lot of television at all. I don't mm-hmm. have a television. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm not barraged with the advertising that most people who do have TVs are barraged with. Right. And so I don't feel quite as assaulted. But when I do tune in to commercial radio, for example, or mm. TV. Yeah, you're it, referring to the radio station regarding the sports network? Yeah, the sports channel. And I'm into sports, so I thought I'd tune in. It's an AM channel, mm. commercial channel. Mm-hmm. And I tuned in one day, and it was so many ads and very little commentary. I decided to time it one day, and it was something like seven or eight minutes of ads in succession, mm-hmm. and then three or four minutes of jibber-jabber about Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors and the Blue Jays, blah, blah, blah. And back to commercials. Right back to commercials, another seven or eight minutes. Yep. And it's, to me, it felt like this was a show, a network, really, that is a launching pad for ads. It's the delivery system for advertising. It's not yep. content with ads. Mm, it's a barrage. A lot of commercial uh, media has become a delivery system for ads primarily. Mm -hmm. That began with TV in the late 50s, early 60s. That's when the whole movement started with regards to advertising. As soon as they had the audience, the marketers went to work. Sure. And one of the first things uh, we kind of were invaded with, let's say, was jingles. The whole jingle thing. Catchy tunes. Every product had to have a jingle. You'll wonder where the yellow went. When, when you, you brush, brush your teeth, teeth with Pepsodent. Okay? And the fact that you could join in on that so readily, right. and 99.9% of folks from our generation could join in on that so readily, mm-hmm. means that that little molecule of information yep. in the form of music is lodged in our synapses forever. 
Mm-hmm. Unless I grow senile very quickly, that little ditty, whenever it's raised, will pop up in me like a mind worm. Yeah, you turned it uh, an earworm, didn't you? Yeah, an earworm, but I think you could call it a mind, mind worm. worm because it's kind of in the mind. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the insidious. I think you used that word today when we were talking, the insidious nature of mm-hmm. marketing and advertising, that it implants these things in our minds, in our brains. Invasive as well. Mm-hmm. But that's my own personal take. It's like a weed. Yeah, exactly. In the garden. Yeah. <laughs> in the beautiful garden of my mind grows the weeds of advertising, jingoism, yeah. and all that stuff. Exactly. So notwithstanding the fact that you don't have a TV, even yourself, at times, you feel like a puppet being mastered by puppeteers. Yeah, so I thought you were going to say being masturbated by puppeteers. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. Well, but, it's, but listen, it's a family channel. <laughs> but listen, whenever I do yeah. watch a television show, I tune into the hockey game, let's say. Yeah. Whereas when I grew up, you'd see an ice rink with a maple leaf at the center and some right. lines. Mm-hmm. Now you see maple leaf at the center, brand names on the boards for all kinds of ads yep. all the way around the boards, yep. brand names of products in the ice, under the ice surface, brand names of products on the scoreboard and all around the arena, the rink. Yep. It's everywhere. It's on the uh, sweaters of hockey players internationally, for example. In football, you see the same thing. It's like some sort of shadow that has gotten its claws yep. into every aspect of our lives. It's all about consuming products and services. Totally. And it's also interesting, the methods that are used. I've been a salesperson in my life many times. And one of the things they teach you as a salesperson is to put that item in the hands of the buyer Mm -hmm. so that they feel it. It's like it's already partly theirs. They've handled it. Mm -hmm. So it's psychological. And so there are all these sort of tricks that the salesman can bring to bear to to get the customer to you know purchase the product and at, at times i just felt like it was manipulation i just felt a little bit icky sure because you knew what was behind it yeah but the thing is interestingly so we're talking about that so this is what is referred to brick and mortar selling so these are products that you find in buildings yeah right so a lot of people would say wow well then then that must be hurting all these internet companies whereby they don't have the brick and mortar and they're selling it to you on the internet so they use other methodologies like what for example so for example with products on the internet they use what is called anchoring Uh uh-huh so they will put their highest priced items in front of you so that when you go down the list and you spend 500 or a thousand dollars less for the next item down for the next model down, you feel like you're getting a bargain. Yeah, Terry O'Reilly did something about that kind of pricing on one of his Under the Influence shows on the CBC, where he talked about how restaurants will uh, put a high-end menu item in the top right-hand corner of the menu, which is where the eyes tend to go when you first open Mm -hmm. the menu, Mm -hmm. and it's like up there in price. But close by, around it, are items that are lesser in price, so that you're psychologically thinking, oh, there's lots of good deals here at this restaurant. Exactly. Right? But meanwhile, everything is inflated. <laughs> and then you get two for one. Oh, you I know. know. This sort of thing. Or buy one, get one half price. And you think, boy, they're giving me something. 
Well, no, they're just making a tad less money, but they're still making a bunch of money. Right. But you know what gets me about that? You hear this all the time. It's on sale. Mm -hmm. It's on sale. Well, I didn't need the item before the sale was on. You yeah. Know, why like, should I need it now? Because right. it's on sale. Exactly. Or or two for one. I didn't even want the one. So why go for the two for one? <laughs> <laughs> there have been movements to limit the kinds of advertising, yes. especially that is directed at children. Which for I'm 100% behind because I have said it in conversations with friends and family that is borderline criminal. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. To me, uh, the uh, constant advertising of what I refer to as junk food or food that has little or no nutritive value and actually harms the children. Adults is one thing, but targeting children and also targeting children in order to get adults to buy. Yeah, sure. That's a good technique as well. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, food corporations spend roughly $2 billion a year on ads specifically targeting children and teens. I'm not surprised. Uh, which is a real joke. Children from the United States view an average of one food commercial every five minutes of television watch, and it's mostly junk food, sugary mm -hmm. drinks, candy, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So there are countries around the world, including France, Ireland, Mexico, Norway, Taiwan, yeah, United Kingdom. Let's talk about a little bit about that. That have done something. About yeah. this. Basically, the Canadian version of what I'm saying is happened in Quebec, where they passed a law in 1980. Yeah, I was going to say close to 40 years ago. 40 years ago, mm -hmm. restricting junk food marketing to kids. Mm -hmm. It was the first of its kind, banned fast food marketing aimed at children under 13 in Great. print and electronic media. Mm -hmm. And get this, fast food expenditures subsequently decreased 13%. Mm -hmm. So while the rest of Canada has seen a drastic increase in obesity among children, Quebec maintains the lowest child obesity rate. Right. Now talk about the positive things that occurred because of it. Well, right there. Reduction in obesity, less exposure to kind of garbagey foods. General health. General health. And then the opposite side of that coin are companies that promote their product as something that is really healthy for kids. So a lot of companies have tried insidiously to put forward their products as healthy, natural, mm -hmm. you know, big words, natural on the Gluten-free. Gluten-free. Mm. Applesauce, gluten-free, when apples are just naturally gluten-free. Gluten so it doesn't make any difference right. that it says gluten-free. But you can't accuse them of lying. No, no, they're not lying. Because it is gluten-free. But it's a way of angling their product and their brand. So you think, these people really care about the quality of the food that we're getting, mm -hmm. you know. Let's talk about it even economically speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you lost 13% of fast food sales, which equal X number of dollars. Yeah. I wonder how much you gained on the health side from healthier individuals, higher productivity. Less strain on the healthcare system. Less strain on the healthcare system. Like it would be probably tenfold increase over what the 13% loss was in junk food sales. Yeah, and that's, see, that's where governments have to come in. And I know that you think, you know, we individually need to take responsibility and control of our lives and our health. And I agree totally. But the fact is that this stuff is so ubiquitous and yes. insidious and in the atmosphere of everything we move through, mm -hmm. that governments need to actually be proactive and look at these situations and say, we're going to limit that. You can't do that. Cut that out. Especially when it comes to children yeah, who are not of the age or have the life experience to make those kinds of decisions. Exactly. And not to mention the whole aspect of pollution and the packaging, the over-packaging oh. of products 
that are advertised. You know, so the the latest widget is on sale. And so you rush down to your Canadian Tire or wherever, Mm -hmm. and you go into that section, and what do you see? You see a box the size of a toboggan housing (laughs) a widget that's two inches by three inches in size, filled with plastic and styrofoam and and all kinds of shit, pardon Mm. my language. Yeah, no, no, I agree. That goes into the lakes, the, the oceans, the landfills, all of this stuff for a tiny little thing. Mm-hmm. It's an object. Yeah. Now, when I was a kid, you'd go into your corner store, you'd go into the... the cigar store? The cigar store or the Canadian Tire version of you know, the home hard, the little hardware store in the corner, mm-hmm. and you'd want to buy a widget, and they'd take you over to the sink, and they'd pull a card off the wall, a, a cardboard card card yeah and each of the widgets would have been held in with a little elastic band on the card you might see 12 of them on or the there's a bunch of them in a box or they're in a box and they say here you go right. and they put it in a paper bag and you go home right? same with cigars instead of having one cigar in a package that's a foot long emblazoned with artwork and whatever else it has you, you know there were six or seven cigars sitting in a nice container and you just bought one and yeah i'm not yeah. saying everything should be like that but we've really just gone over the top i think when it comes to packaging. Well, you know, we can also blame ourselves for that too in terms of our need, so-called need to have things be aesthetic and beautiful. In other words, if something is packaged in a kind of a beautiful aesthetic way, Mm -hmm. we're more inclined to move towards it than if it's attached to a card with an elastic band. That's true. So as time has gone on, more and more work has been given to designers and artists to create this very enticing, beautiful Mm -hmm. packaging materials that end up in our landfills and in the ocean. And that's the fact of it. Right. It's a bit of a balancing act, of course. But I just think we've gone to the extremes. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's more about what's happening to our minds and souls than it is our pocketbooks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to who's in control, mm-hmm. right? And the commercial world, in their ideal scenario, is controlling our buying habits. And they do that, you know, through the marketing, as we said, and the advertising, through the gleaning of information off the net, and all of those pop-ups that happen. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, how, the, how do they know that I'm interested in that? Well, we now know that they're constantly gathering information Mm -hmm. from everything we upload and turning it into consumer strategies. Yeah, it's all about propagations of products and services, Yeah, primarily. It's not this kind of uh, altruistic Mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. of social caring and justice. Yeah. So the question is, what would our society look like if it wasn't consumer-centric? What would it be like? to not have a world that is like this. Personally, I would love to see more of that world. And I'm not talking about eliminating everything that we have. Just getting back to some basics in terms of a sense of proportion. Yeah, and a sense of understanding what it is we need versus what it is we want. Exactly. If I need something, maybe I can borrow it from my neighbor. Right. And we can share that hammer, Mm -hmm. that saw, whatever we don't need to both have hammers if we are neighbors and we care about each other's families and we like to work together. We don't need two of everything. You buy the saw, I buy the hammer. We've got both. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I know what you're saying. So consumerism then gets cut down 
in half, in a way. And also just the basic stress of it. How many people do you know now complain about having too many things or too much to do and they don't even know half the time what it is? You're collecting stuff and then you feel flustered because... You think there's too much clutter, too you're, much you're getting storage space to put the stuff in it. Carl, Carlin did a great <laughs> yeah. uh, bit on stuff. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Carrying stuff around. Actually, that'd probably be a good bit for our Vox Box. That, yeah, the stuff bit. Yeah. <laughs> Vox Box. So, what's your story? That's the whole meaning of life, isn't it? Trying to find a place for your stuff. That's all your house is. Your house is just a place for your stuff. That's all your house is. It's a place to keep your stuff while you go out and get more stuff. <laughs> Now, sometimes, sometimes you've got to move. You've got to get a bigger house. Why? Too much stuff. <laughs> you've got to move all your stuff. And maybe put some of your stuff in storage. Now imagine that. There's a whole industry based on keeping an eye on your stuff. Enough about your stuff. Let's talk about other people's stuff. Did you ever notice when you go to somebody else's house, you never quite feel 100% at home? You know why? No room for your stuff. Somebody else's stuff is all over the place. And what awful stuff it is. Where did they get this stuff? And if you have to stay overnight at someone's house, you know, unexpectedly, and they give you a little room to sleep in that they don't use that often, Someone died in it 11 years ago and they haven't moved any of his stuff. Or wherever they give you to sleep, usually right near the bed there's a dresser and there's never any room on the dresser for your stuff. Someone else's shit is on the dresser. Have you noticed that their stuff is shit and your shit is stuff? Box, box. Just imagine if everyone started consuming just a little less. Companies are not going to like that. So they'll do everything in their power to move us away from that thought form. But the, the companies are in the same system cycle that we are. They adapted to the current system. So they feel that way because that's the system that they're in. If we adopt another system, for example, we talk about fossil fuels versus alternative sources of energy. Mm -hmm. Well, if you now take the resources that you're putting into looking for fossil fuels and now you look into solar and wind energy and other factors, even though it may take time and it won't be immediate profits and so on, you begin to change your approach, which mm -hmm. means first you have to change your thinking. Mm -hmm. You reduce the greed. You look at a longer term framework instead of everything being immediate. Mm -hmm. So you actually are thinking of generations after you and not just your own life. Yeah, I think that's key, what mm -hmm. you just said there. And that's why governments have instituted these restrictions in terms of children and advertising, mm -hmm. that it is the, the generations after ours that are going to be affected in terms of their health, in terms of their lifestyle and, and what they have to deal with. And to do that now, to make sure that rules are in place, that laws are in place, that really restrict these things from happening. Governments don't seem to have the guts to go to the manufacturers and say, you cannot produce this product in this way. You can produce the product, you can get it out there, but the way you package it has to have environmental awareness in it. 
Otherwise, you can't do it. Yeah, but the systemic part is that the government now becomes also part of the entire economic framework. Those companies mm-hmm. that produce these products also are providing the government with money. Sure, through taxes <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah, yeah. sales tax and that sort of so thing. So it goes on and on and on. We as individuals have to begin that process. That's my feeling. You can still go to the government. I'm not yeah. saying you maintain. Of course, you, you begin the process of engaging governments. Governments do need to take more responsibility. I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. However, in the absence of that immediate response, we have to begin individually to make different choices. Mm-hmm. We may be very small. And it may be a very small factor. Yeah. But it's a beginning while the other things are going on. Right. So when you come across a Coca-Cola vending machine that invites you to hug it. <laughs> You're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> I, because, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hug Coca-Cola under any circumstance, right? so I'm not the right guy to say that to. <laughs> because these brands, what they're connecting to is emotions. Sure. The are, big bears on the movie screen who are on top of an iceberg having drinking. A, drinking a can of Coke. Yeah. Oh, how cute. How wonderful. How cute. That's, you know, that's one of the most farcical commercials I've ever seen. Right. And they appeal to sort of, I don't know, the insipid nature of our imagination because we are imaginative beings and we like imaginative things. Mm-hmm. We like stories mm-hmm. that are kind of funny and weird and animals that talk, fine. Sure. Right? But in aid of putting uh, sugar water into our bodies, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know? but, but that's what concerns me the most is the fact that so many buy into that. Well, when you grow up in that air, breathing that air, you don't know any other air. Right. You just breathe the air you've been given. That's the sad fact. We grew up, you and I grew up in the 50s, 60s, when television came in. Sure. Big time. And we were raised with commercials. We didn't kick up a fuss back then when Pepsodent came on and said, mm-hmm. you wonder where the yellow went or little dabble do ya, mm-hmm. Brill Cream. Yeah, Brill Cream. You yeah. know, we yeah. didn't put up a fuss, even though no, these right. things were happening you're then. Right. Uh, we could have nipped it in the bud then and said, now, do we really want to have this much commercialism mm-hmm. in the cultural airwaves that TV was representing? Mm-hmm. And we didn't stand up and say, what does this mean for our kids? Mm-hmm. What's it going to be like 30 years, 50 yeah, years we from now? we weren't thinking. When there's mm-hmm. going to be even more of this stuff. Right. And so we have to be proactive around technology and the way it can promote these products in those ways. But think about it for a second now. Okay, you brought out the point about being indoctrinated in a certain way when we were growing up. Yep. So think back yourself. When did that start to change? It really started to change when you became more informed about what those products actually had in them, what they were doing to you. Until that point, they were just products. Sure. Right? Until I realized that milk, standard cow milk, was not that great for me. Yeah. I didn't think anything of milk commercials. I mm-hmm. didn't think anything of fast food chains. Well, I wasn't consuming them much anyway, but I wasn't really thinking too much about it because I wasn't realizing how much it was hurting people. Well, see, here's where scientists have to take some of the rap for that, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of these products are backed by, quote-unquote, scientific investigation shows that our product is better than the other product by 25% or is more natural or whatever it is. And where are the scientists who say, yeah, but that's a very inaccurate rendering. That's not exactly true, folks. Be aware of that. Yeah, but you wouldn't say that until you came to the realization that a lot of those scientists were bought and paid for by the companies that produced those goods. Well, that's exactly so that's what's it. The, so the bottom line here is education. 
Yeah. So education is critical. People standing up for their rights is critical, especially around children, mm-hmm. you know, and not having their lives invaded constantly by commercialism. But the challenge is this. I mean, a lot of the information that gets out about these things is through the internet, through Facebook and other social media. And what happens is because it's a scrolling mechanism, the information is there and then it's, you might read it, but then it's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not like it's there again to remind you, remember, this product isn't what it is. It's mm-hmm. just gone. And our memories have become kind of short and atrophied, and we don't even maybe register it half the time. The stuff we're reading doesn't get registered. It just gets read on a surface level and then shoots away. Things get perused. Perused. Yeah. And so uh, mm-hmm. that's the danger is that the information is out there, as you say. Right. But you have to seek it in a certain way that it's where it's going to stick. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you might as well just brush your teeth with pepsodent. <laughs> you wonder where the yellow went. And you'll wonder where the yellow went. <laughs> the Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.